0: Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today we're joined by Mark Thompson, who's the Retail Industry Director for EMEA at Zebra Technologies. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks, Simon. We've done a previous pod with the guys at Reflexis who are now part of the Zebra Technology family. Mm-hmm. You you come from the, the Zebra part of, of the family, if you like. So it'd be good if you can give us a bit of background on your career, how you got to be the Retail Industry Director for EMEA, and also... Shed a bit of light on what Zebra did. Uh,
1: Long story. Uh, I've been with uh, Zebra for in in total 20 years or so, although I I moved off from Zebra about 10 years ago to join Motorola, uh, Motorola Solutions. And then surprisingly to me anyway, Zebra then bought the Motorola Solutions business in 2014. So uh, I, I like to think they bought me back. Prior to to Zebra, prior to that sort of 20-year overall history, I worked in uh, uh, some retail in terms of uh, mail order at retail. I also worked in hospitality, running a golf and country club for a while, and then a, sh- uh, a stint in sales in financial services. So a fairly broad, eclectic uh, background, but it brings me round to the various roles in, in, in Zebra, leading up to becoming not only a uh, an industry speaker, but, but also working with retailers to essentially i guess help them vision and understand what's happening both in terms of the consumer trends but also technology trends
0: from a zebra technologies point of view what kind of solutions and things do you provide to various retailers so zebra's uh, again a very broad brush business and started off
1: on the zebra side as a printer uh, business barcode printers thermal printers including uh, card printers and then when we acquired uh, the Motorola Solutions business, that took us into scanning, mobile computing, RFID, uh, although we already had some uh, RFID in terms of printing, now we were able to add RFID in terms of fixed readers and mobile readers. Quite a broad set of technologies, which we've more recently, as you alluded to with the Reflexis acquisition, we also acquired companies such as Profitect, which is a prescriptive analytics business and we've uh, acquired others like temp time and so we're moving much more into a solutions focus being able to to look at and understand the challenges faced by our customers across multiple different industries. So retail is our single biggest industry that we, we work with uh, in terms of revenue generation, but we work across healthcare as well. We work across uh, supply chain, logistics, utilities, etc. So quite a broad range of both solutions and markets that we operate in.
0: A challenge for the listeners is if you're in a retailer and you see a colleague with one of the devices in their hand, just have a, a look at it or a quick uh, glance as you go past because more than likely it will have a Zebra logo. So that's a, a good way of spotting some Zebra tech.
1: Yeah, that, that's right. So we have obviously the Zebra branded items and people often say to me, oh, we don't have Zebras, we have uh, Motorola or we have Symbol. Well, both of those brands are now part of the, the, the Zebra family uh, and are out there in the marketplace. So some people may well see scanners at the tills that have a Symbol logo on them still. And let me know because they need upgrading because uh, it means that they are slightly slightly older.
0: Good. Well, that, that leads us on to some of the points we're going to cover today so we're going to focus on tech we're going to focus on retail and that that point about upgrading we were we've known each other for a while now and and talk about various trends and things that happen in retail one of the things that i think has coming to an end maybe 10 years ago there was this play where lots of talk about bring your own device in retail i think it's come through slightly but in a different guise in terms of apps for checking your clocking in and out your payroll your employee engagement not necessarily colleagues using their apps to scan and do stock management but there was a point in time for a couple of years where as a customer i could walk into a store and the the tech i had on my smartphone whatever generation of android or or iphone was probably better than the tech that those organizations were giving their colleagues how's that whole kind of tech in tech in retail stores automation i think there's been a, a big advancement in a very short space of time from a a tech point of view a software point of view probably a cost of ownership point of view what things have you seen change and where do you see it going so if we if we look at what's changed maybe in the last five years what things have you seen changed and work really well for for retailers to help them almost get ahead of the tech that customers had in their pockets
1: I think there's been, I guess, a convergence of technologies and desire by, by retailers to improve productivity. I think where the technology itself plays is the fact that, as you say, five, six, seven years ago, people... Were equipping or retailers were equipping their staff with Windows-based devices that were going to do one or two tasks. They might be there for uh, helping helping the staff to to manage pricing and print pricing labels, etc., or uh, to manage inventory and to to check stock numbers, etc. So essentially, you're using A a heavyweight piece of kit in in the sense of the technology to do fairly basic tasks. And I think what's happened in that period is we've seen both in terms of our personal lives, but in terms of the tech used in in the hands of uh, retail staff, shift towards Android in this particular case. And uh, so the user interface becomes very different. And it means that we're all used to now having in our hands a piece of tech that can actually do multiple tasks. So it's not just there for one or two tasks, it's there to do many things. And what we're seeing now, we're having many, many conversations with retailers uh, right now, is about what else can I now do with this, effectively, this Android mobile computer that is sitting in the hands of my staff? Can I do my HR? Can I do my scheduling? So the reflexes piece comes into play. Can I do my communication? How do, how do my staff now talk to each other? So can they use the mobile de- device to do that and maybe replace the radios that they used to have in stores? can i know which staff are working and whether or not they're they're engaged in a specific task and therefore if i have something else urgent that needs to be done i know who's free and who's who's where in the store to be able to help with that can i do mobile payments and uh, so maybe do queue busting uh, or take payments at the point of need maybe there are TVs that uh, customer wants a TV or a mattress and i and i can actually take payment from them at the point when I'm serving them, rather than directing them to a a choke point, a natural choke point, which might be a a traditional point of sale. The the range of opportunity is out there now, and retailers are now actively starting to take advantage of that. And I think, again, I guess the last piece I would say is that where is it moving to? It's moving very much like we are, in again, in our personal lives where the device becomes just a natural piece of what we take with us. And I think that needs to happen in a retail store where staff will automatically have access to that technology, will use that technology to know what they're supposed to be doing, to manage their tasks, to improve their productivity and communication and collaboration. And it will no longer be seen as only having enough devices to do the specific task. It will be seen almost like the staff uniform as a natural
0: piece of kit. I think it's really interesting. And again, just circling back on a couple of points there, that whole piece around the idea of being able to take payments really interesting in a world where we I think will move away from less man tills because of we're just acutely more aware of human contact and passing money to people and all all those things that I think have probably become habit now in the last six to nine months but if you think about the one of the biggest costs in a retailer is hardware Mm -hmm. So outside of people in store, you've got in big supermarkets, lots of till hardware, self checkouts, man checkouts that are plugged in, that are consuming power, that you have to keep on to make sure they get the updates that are pushed and all those other things that go. And I, I think about my local supermarkets, very, very, very rarely, even at peak Christmas, is every one of those tills used. Mm hmm. But actually we power it all year. We pay for the maintenance on it all year. We pay for the whatever else, the licenses, the updates, etc. So there's an environmental cost of it, it's costing us money and we're powering it, but also a, an on cost of to keep it up to date for maybe the once or twice we use it. That whole payment anywhere, contactless card, non-cash, I think is really interesting, open, opens up massive opportunity. But also this ability... To almost drive and something we're really interested in is operational excellence. So mm-hmm. in that device, it might tell me these are my 10 jobs today. This is the best order to do them. And that might be the best order based on the colleague, the customer, the business needs, shrink, security, whatever it might be. But also, what's the best way to do it? So the order is important, but actually, what's the operational excellence process? What's the best way to do this that means it's, quick it's efficient it's safe it's best practice for the business and delivers the you know the business benefit or the commercial benefit for it so having somewhere I could go and then check a quick video that shows me the best way or something that talks me through it it really really empowers the employee to do pretty much everything but also look at how they're doing it how quick they're doing it what the deviation was was there a better way to do it so from a data point of view it must open up a wealth of ways to give businesses' data they've maybe never had before in a way they've never been able to capture it I
1: think that well that
0: that's very very true uh, we've certainly noticed uh, a
1: requirement or request from retailers and, and we've responded to it to add what we call learning on the device or video on device uh, because I don't know you're probably you're probably the same as me if something needs doing around the house I don't go and find a book or a manual for it to to try and fix it or to do it I look on YouTube and I get a short video on how to do it And if I didn't pick it up from the first video, I'll find a different video. And that now seems to be the way we learn how to do things. And if you can give that to a member of staff in their hand on the device that they're going to be using anyway, then you've got... Uh, much better uptime, much quicker uh, uh, completion of tasks. you also talked about obviously the the various different tasks, the order you do those tasks in being being important and, and who does them and how long it takes and absolutely that that drives productivity and it drives also the the data as you say the the audit trail of which stores have done what tasks so simple things you might think of such as a, a product recall. The note historically would have gone out to all stores, probably based upon a, an email or, or fax printout to recall this set of products. And then a member of staff would do it, and at some point later on that day, would probably send them an email back to, set, to confirm that that recall was being done. Using the technology, the handhelds, this can be done pretty much real-time and therefore head office can get a, a real-time view of which stores have recalled and taken that product off the shelf in a, in a live sense. So I think there's so many ways that that data can be used. You talked also about the uh, the checkouts. I think that's very relevant. Relevant. We've had a number of retailers over the last two or three years starting to talk about having stores without checkouts. How do we, how do we check out customers in a different way? Of course, you could look at the whole frictionless piece with Amazon Go. I don't think most retailers will take that. But what they will do is start to look at how do we actually just reduce the friction? Because the checkout, as we all know, is probably the biggest single point of friction, both for customers and for staff. And as you say, it costs money and takes space. So how do we make that more mobile and, and, and more conducive to a, a customer flow and and we've seen over the the last 6 or 7 months of the pandemic across across the whole of the world but uh, europe in particular and really focused in the uk where the the self scan the the mobile scanning and self checkout have grown dramatically uh, really driven by customer demand to reduce that physical contact with with other people and to speed up the whole checkout pr- and shopping process so i think What's happening there is is, is going to stay. Customers who typically use the devices, pick up a self-scan device and scan their own shopping, typically carry on doing it because they, they suddenly realize that actually it's a very easy way to shop and it's quicker and they don't have to take products out of the basket again and, and scan them and then repack them at, at the end of the process as well as not contacting or not being face-to-face with a member of staff. So there, w- there will be some checkout still, but I think what we'll see is a rethinking of that whole checkout mix, if you like, and a, and a
0: refocusing on the self-checkout and self-scanning portion of it. Will that in turn then lead to a, a wider rethink of how retailers use space? Because that may free up space. I think for me, there's still something around retailers getting the whole click and collect journey right, making sure the point of collection and the point of retrieving the the parcels isn't too far away. Historically, it's been bunged in a warehouse or in a a disused office, which isn't necessarily near the collection point. But if we're rethinking the, the checkout part and what that might look like, for me, that probably naturally leads into rethinking, well, what does the rest of the store look like? Do you think that that's coming? I think absolutely and you always need to turn a store on on its head in terms of the the the
1: layout if we can if we can remove some of those Checkouts, which which tend to take up a lot of space and almost be a barrier to to exit, and rethink how what are customers coming into the store for? Are they coming in simply to to walk around, browse, and then then eventually buy, or are they actually coming in to experience products? Are they coming in to pick up products, as you as you rightly say, or even return products? And you've got to make that easy. So the old technique was to put a a pickup or click and collect point at the back of the store to force customers to walk through the store. And yes, they may buy something as part of that journey. But actually, if only 10, 15, 20% of people are going to Buy something else as part of that journey then you 've just annoyed 80, eighty odd percent because they 're having to walk through a store you 're also causing more congestion and, and more potential contact so my view is you actually bring that to the front of store you make it as easy as possible and then you 'll still get people buying things as uh, complementary purchases but what you 've done is you 've made the whole process less friction for the customer and easier flow and they 'll come back and they 'll use that as an option in future and it will help you as a retailer keep your costs low because as we all know from the online side the biggest part of that cost is actually the the last mile of delivery and therefore if you can encourage customers to collect and make that easy make that an enjoyable experience make returns an easy and seamless experience then actually you'll drive more customers into that that option
0: yeah we've talked about it on some previous podcasts around omni-channel multi-channel whatever phrases you want to use. It's that piece around, actually, if the customer is the channel, so as long as they're purchasing, as a business this day and age, as long as they're purchasing from your brand and not your competitors, you, you've done your job, whether it's online or whether it's physically in the store. But no, I, I absolutely agree, making the, the journey is easy, which is probably going to be more click and collect, return, less physical. I still think there'll be a place for physical, but it, it does come back to like like you talked about in the, the earlier part, is it about an experience? So actually I'm coming to look at the, let's use the TV, see the picture quality. I have no intention of buying it there and then because I don't want to put it in the car. I want someone to deliver it to the house tomorrow or the day after or at my convenience, potentially install it, take away the old one. But I'll buy it from you now because you've talked to me about the spec, you've talked to me about the benefits, maybe show me some others. But I, I had no intention of buying it there. So it's that, it was called showrooming, wasn't it? A couple of years ago, experience. I think the space will change. I think personally, there'll be more collaboration. So, those retailers that have got big space will see some what we would have thought of bizarre collaborations six nine months ago. Probably some that we'd have expected. Next have done a great job historically of, of collaborating with the coffee houses. I think they've done some car showrooms and others. And you start to see that, and that I think will move forward. So actually. One of the things that I thought was was strange the first time I saw it but actually now just feels normal is if you go to one of the big Westfield shopping centres, there's normally a Kia showroom, maybe a VW1, a Jag one in there. Genius because take the cars to the people. Yep, And guess what you see on a Saturday when the blokes are bored because there's a lot of shopping going on they don't want to be involved in. They're hanging around looking at the new cars and it only takes one. It only takes one. So that maybe was a bit ahead of its time, but I think we'll see a lot of that moving moving in that direction. Yeah, you're and, absolutely right.
1: I mean, I, I, I can't remember which brand it was now, but this was about 10 years or so ago. And in one of the ladies' fashion uh, stores... Uh, I used to go shopping with my wife. I, I, I try to avoid it now, but uh, I used to go shopping with with my wife. She would try on clothes, but actually, the uh, the seating area in the the fitting room section was actually uh, effectively done as a as a as a man's own leather sofas, car magazines, uh, and a couple of iPads, and and that was great because actually it, it made her feel comfortable. It made me feel comfortable, so therefore it it, it kind of worked for for both of us. So uh, so yeah that that was that was particularly great. I also uh I think you're right in in the sense of the store Uh, being having a different purpose and i think that goes back to our conversation about how do you equip train your your staff you're actually almost saying that staff have a different purpose as well then they become they have to be more educated they have to know how to talk to a customer face to face they're not just there for uh, operational tasks of of restocking inventory management pricing etc they're there to actually engage and collaborate with with shoppers you also talked about collaborations between retailers, and I see recently that obviously Sainsbury's bought the Argos business and brought that in, and so you now have Argos stores in Sainsbury's. That's one form of collaboration. You now have AO stores in some Tesco's. So you now can, can go into a Tesco and buy your, your washing machine or your TV, etc. And that, that may be because essentially the customer's, are there. So as you said, go where your customer is. It may also be that there's, uh, there's elements of better use of space, I think, rather than you can't, if you've already got a hypermarket, you can't, it's very difficult to reduce that space,
0: but you might be able to use it better and, and put other people into it. The one thing we shouldn't probably underestimate in all of this is I think requirements of store colleagues to be more tech savvy will increase. So mm-hmm. to be able to use tech, to be able to take new tech or new apps on devices you talked before around you know learning from video youtube etc when you get a new smartphone who needs a manual these days because it's it's that easy to use and intuitive yes that's gonna have to be in place but i think there's also needs to be a recognition that current colleagues and new colleagues into the, the retail world are going to have to be more tech savvy because that's the direction of travel
1: It it's it certainly is but i think you're you're right what's happening with the tech is that the tech is becoming easier to use i think it's more intuitive as you say when was the last time you you picked up a mobile phone you thought i'll download a new app you don't go on a training course for it you just download it and it it is just there it's easy to use uh, and everyone can use it and we're seeing more and more people of all age groups being able to pick up tablets pick up mobile phones and just get on with them and start start using them so uh, I I think that will come, and as the years pass, the next two, three, four, five years, etc., then suddenly the people who uh, are are in their fifties essentially will also have grown up with technology. So this this will become more and more easy to
0: to understand and work through with the staff. If we cast our minds forward, then so we've we've talked a lot about kind of enabling store colleagues. Are there there any wider tech trends or pieces of automation that you guys are working on or talking about to customers that are going to help reduce some of those colleague tasks and give them time back to serve customers? Yeah, I think automation is is one of those big
1: areas that that covers many many aspects of retail and, and will inevitably play a big part in the next five to ten years we're already seeing uh, automation in, in both in warehouses for moving things around uh, and to some extent picking but now we're starting to see automation in physical stores people like walmart are already using uh, automated uh, cleaning robots uh, so this is so that that's happening. They're all automatically or all, also looking at uh, inventory management. So we launched at the beginning of this year at the uh, NRF show in uh, New York, a, a, I guess a robotic-based system called SmartSight, so a robot called EMMA, that can move around the store, it's full of, uh, of scanners and sensors, and we'll look at the the shelves, we'll look at the the labels that are on the shelf to ensure that those are correct. It looks at the stock on the shelves to make sure it's in the right place and to check if there are any gaps. And those are kind of mundane tasks that it's very difficult to formalize for a, an individual member of staff to do that. And therefore, it happens on an, almost an ad hoc basis or a, or a, it gets caught by the fact that we were planning to replenish that shelf every two hours or so anyway. And uh, now you can start to see a world where that type of information comes in through either the robots that are moving through the store or potentially even shelf edge cameras that are looking at the shelves around them and that can tell a centralized system that, that there, are, there is a, a need to replenish or pull forward stock on a particular shelf. And that, that's going to drive a huge improvement in, in both productivity. So labor saving from those, those mundane tasks, but also a better service for customers. Because obviously if we're going through uh, a store shopping, we want to, to be able to have availability of all the products that we expect to be on the shelf. And that goes even further onto the omnichannel, the online piece, because a lot of omnichannel ha- uh, purchases now are fulfilled from a store so the uh the pickers go around the store they they have the list of items they need to pick, and if the product is not on the shelf, obviously that creates a gap in that pick list and the pickers potentially they have two options don't they 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 can either. Leave that blank. In which case, as a shopper, I get maybe I don't get any coffee this week. Or they substitute, and they give me a different brand or a different uh, type of coffee. And that again may be just as annoying for me as a customer. And also as a customer, I then have the right clearly to to say, actually, no, I don't accept that substitution. And therefore, I'm then sending that back through some sort of fairly expensive reverse logistics process which will either cause additional cost, or if it's perishables, potentially it will cause additional waste. That drives there to be a, a really strong need to know exactly what's on shelf at any point in time, which is why that's going to be more and more
0: automated going forward. We've, we've worked with a couple of clients who've done self-fulfill, some as a response to COVID as online volumes went up, other as mm-hmm. part of a more strategic plan. And the the really interesting thing is it highlights, again, one of the holy grails for retailers. Once you publish your inventory at store level live, it throws out all the challenges of keeping that stock in terms of volumes that you publish. So quantities live, the challenges of shrink, the challenges of mismatched barcodes from suppliers. So all those things that happen and happen in retailers, and they deal with internally. Once you publish that live to a customer and say, I've got 12 of these, you can buy it now. And you order the 12 and like you alluded to, maybe there's not 12, maybe it's a slightly different brand, causes real, real problems. So any help without getting people to count more and more, because I think one thing that I've learned in retail is the more you count stock continually, the more you corrupt the stock file. So you you yo-yo stock up and down because if it's not the same person, know, it might be in three locations, they might have miscounted, it might be a different colour of paint behind the one you've counted. The more you count it, the more you corrupt it almost perversely. I think that whole piece around how can we clean the inventory up, how can we keep it accurate without humans having to keep counting it's critical. It's interesting, you talked about Emma, I think the guys at Reflexis have Susan, who's their kind of benchmark for usability of software, so... uh, yeah interesting you've uh you've both got diff- different names
1: yes uh, yeah those those personalizations of of, of technologies or processes uh, often come in
0: yeah but we've worked with clients who are using robot vacuum cleaners and the like mm-hmm. so you can see almost a world in a in a retailer where the lights go out but then some of the automation magic happens so emma goes around and does all your label checking does all your uh, high and low volume checking maybe looks at vulnerable items of from a shrink point of view or a high um, throughput point of view behind it or at the same time there's something cleaning the floors there's something scanning from the the ceiling looking at i don't know line controlling integrity or energy usage it would be really really interesting to see who gets to a place of combining all of this with all the other stuff we've talked around around payment with rfid which we've not really touched on but has been around for a while and, and is used by various retailers, certainly in the kind of fashion sector. Mm-hmm. If anybody can actually piece this all together and say, this is the size of the price.
1: There, I mean, there is so much happening with the automation point. It's, uh... I can't remember how many years ago the, uh, the film Minority Report came out where Tom Cruise would walk, uh, into a, into a store and the signage automatically said, welcome, whatever his name was in that, in, in that movie. And, uh, are you interested in this product? And you've got that level of personalization. I think some of that is coming. Whether it comes onto digital signage or whether it's a ping to your, your personal mobile phone based upon the geolocation, et cetera. I think that that technology is, is, uh, is getting very close. I think in terms of stores, you've got the automation even of, of price labels. UK's been relatively slow to adapt to electronic price shelf edge labels. Whereas if you look at someone like Sweden or the Netherlands, uh, pretty much every store has electronic shelf edge labels. They're able to put additional messaging on there. They're able to update and change their prices on a, on a regular basis, depending upon obviously what's happening. You mentioned the inventory management piece. I think that that visibility of, of stock also drives an improvement in, in cost or in, in t- certainly in the bottom line, because what you see is if, if you're only doing either cycle counts or you're doing a once a year stock take, you probably have less than an 80% accuracy of, of your stock. And if you know that's the case, then you will tend to overstock In order to maintain the right amount of products on the, on the shelf for the customers. Well, that overstock of 15, 20% is a fairly significant cost for the business and also potentially drives additional waste by itself. So if we can remove that from the process by having much more regular and more accurate visibility as to what have we actually received, whether it's uh, errors, whether it's theft, etc. So what do we actually have in, in, in the store and what is available to customers? And therefore replenish almost on a, a just-in-time basis yeah, the distribution centers. I think you you save a lot of money as a retailer and you improve the performance for, for shoppers.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, by my time in retail, the amount of stock we held in in the warehouse was probably driven by the way we bought it rather than the need of the store, or the customer. So almost, you know, if you eat, if you reach X tins of Dulux Pure Brilliant White as a business, there was a rebate, and therefore they all got cheaper. So I think we we bought in a, in an economic way for the business, not for what we actually thought we were going to sell or needed. Yeah, and the classic example for me is managing a store where there was no rendered houses, but every store got two pallets of Santex masonry paint, one smooth, one textured, because as a business, we'd got a good deal on them. You know, the store in Torquay could have sold them 10 times over. Three years later, I'm trying to move it around the store to find somewhere to put it. And every time we move it, there's a risk we spill it in. There's a risk we damage something else. So yeah, that just in time piece. And then that leads back to some of the stuff about your space because mm-hmm. do you need as bigger space in the warehouse you're counting less stock therefore can you give more over to a sales floor to a concession to a collection bay to a, a different part of your proposition that you can you can drive through it it really is fascinating stuff
1: we've seen in even in uh, sort of supermarkets hypermarkets the some of the some of them are starting to rethink That space and to reduce it and to make the back of store space slightly bigger and convert that into what you might call either an urban fulfillment center or a micro fulfillment center. So you put the automation into the back of store for picking probably up to about 80% of the products. Because that amount of or the the increase in amount of uh, online sales needs or drives a need for more automation in the picking process. And therefore, you want to do that as close as possible to the customer. So I think we will see that rethinking of of, uh, store space, whether you are either building a brand new store or
0: redesigning, rethinking an existing store uh, layout. It's fascinating and I'm, I'm sure we've hit the mark on some stuff. I'm sure there's some stuff we don't even know about yet, we've not talked about and I'm sure we're a bit wrong on other stuff. So it would be fascinating to revisit this in, in six to 12 months. Absolutely. So, so it's been a great chat, Mark. We'll, we'll close on two points, one being football. So you're a big Liverpool fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a Leighton Orient fan. So I think the only thing in common our teams have got is that they both start with L. <laughs> Uh, Although uh, your youth or development coach, Alex Inglethorpe, was one of the key Leighton Orient players. So there is a tenuous link there. And (laughs) every time you play West Ham, you come and use our ground as a training ground. So there's a couple of links. That's probably as close as we get. Always a nervous Um, fan. Yeah, we have watched the game together. It was a semi-final. The Champions League, was it? We watched in a pub in London. yes. Yep. And you, you won and got through. Yeah, so thoughts for the season then, Liverpool? You've got some injuries, so hearts all bleed for you. Um, those that aren't <laughs> Liverpool fans, what, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna you're gonna win it again, you're gonna get the Champions League again? Do you know what? I think this is probably the most unpredictable
1: season I, I've seen in in more than ten years. There there are nobody one, no one's particularly consistent on Everton have had obviously had a very good start, but I think what we'll see is eventually the the Man City's, the Liverpool's and potentially even Manchester United and Chelsea will start to come come through towards the top as things settle down. I don't think they had the kind of training pre-season that they would normally have done in preparation. I think there's been more injuries than normal. And I think COVID will inevitably impact in some way with players having to self-isolate and therefore not be available to, to the squads, which may be a good thing because it means the, the, the youth and academy players will start to come through. And as you know, uh, the academy at uh, Liverpool is very strong. So I'm, I'm hoping we see some great new players uh, coming coming through during the season. But, yeah, without Van Dijk and with uh, Fabinho getting injured, there may be some challenges at the back. We know Liverpool have been a bit leaky over the last season or two. But as long as we've got the, I guess, the upfront uh, force that we have uh, now with Mane, Salah Salah, Salah and uh, Fabinho, I think we'll still continue to outgun a lot of teams. So uh, hopefully we'll be there there or thereabouts at the end.
0: Well, as a, as a fan of a non Premier League team, my only hope is it's it's entertaining and it's close. If somebody runs away with it, you kind of focus more on what's happening at. The, well, I do. I focus more on what's happening at the bottom and the top. Yeah. When it's close and you've got those games that are crucial, a City versus Liverpool or or what have you. Those are where, it, as a as a neutral, it's really exciting. If it's a one horse race, if it's your team, great. If not, it's kind of it yeah. comes a bit boring. No, I agree. I think this year is going to be a lot closer than last year. Well, well, we'll see how it pans out so final question from me then is what's your what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given
1: my uh, i guess it was the very first day i joined motorola and it was build your network so get to know people understand people get to know people get to know what they do what they can do for you so i i continue to use that when i uh, welcome new people to to our business and i think it's relevant both in uh, the tech tech world the retail world whenever you're dealing with people take an interest in them they
0: they all have an interesting story and you never know when they might be useful to you no absolutely good advice good advice so if people want to pick up a further conversation with you about any of the stuff we've talked about mark where's the best place for them to find you
1: uh feel free to reach out to me at uh, at zebra.com and m thompson at zebra is the uh, the email without a p
0: i'm happy for people to reach out directly happy to have a chat Cool. And they can find you on LinkedIn as well, can't they? Absolutely. Brilliant. It's been a pleasure to talk. Hopefully we've we've hit the mark on some of these bits. As I say, I'm sure we're a, a bit off on others and there's some stuff that will blindside us, but uh, always good to think about the future. Well, Take care and we'll the catch time. up soon. Perfect. Thank you.